Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Well, good morning, Hill City. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's going to look at two, two verses here, and I, didn't, I don't have a reader today because it's a real, passage, a real small passage of Scripture and really all bounce around. I don't really have one main text I'm teaching of, but this 2 Corinthians will get us going. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 7. We're in the middle of a, of a series um, called For the Joy. It's part of an initiative that we're launching. It's our forward initiative, and that is us as a congregation moving forward um, towards a facility that we have um, doing good work in the, in the city. That's what we're doing today. And so week one, we kind of cast that vision. We talked about everything we do for God's glory. We laid out the plan, the details. Last week, we talked about the church and why we are for the church, and the church is part of our, our joy. Today, we're talking about generosity and that generosity is for our joy. The next week's for the joy of others as we continue casting vision around what we're doing here. All right, let's jump in. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this. Now, which you, if you've ever read Paul, this is very rare when he tells you actually what his point is. Sometimes you're reading him like, I have no idea what he's saying here. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So one of the things that we believe here at Hill City is for our joy, God calls us to generosity. Not, not because he likes to see us suffer, because he likes to take our money. No, for our joy, God invites us, calls us into generosity. That God has called us to magnify his glory, and part of that's with our money, and us living towards God's glory will in turn result in us finding joy. That's what we believe. So as we step into money today, I don't apologize for it. Um, my goal is not guilt. That's about the last thing I want to do today because guilt is anti-gospel. My goal today is to once again bring to us a call of generosity as disciples of Jesus who desire to live according to his will and for his glory. And some of you maybe heard this day, okay, joy and generosity. Do those two things even go together? Right? When many of us, we hear the word generosity, we think, oh, oh I don't get something. I have to give. We're going to argue today, um, and we will every week, that, uh, that everything God calls us to is for our joy. Here's what John 10.10 says. Jesus says this. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the mark of evil. That's his job. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. One of the fundamental truths we believe about God is that God is a giver. what we believe, that everything he tells us to do in scripture, every command, including generosity, is an expression of his love as this good, gracious God giving to us his best. That's what we believe. 
And when we talk about money, this is the foundational truth that we believe. Even as God calls us to be generous, that is God giving to us. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and that life is abundant. Now flip side, the Satan evils come to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life. Everything in your Christian life boils down to this. What do you believe about God? Do you believe God is a giver, that he's good? And your relationship with money will reveal what you believe about God. I'm going to change that. I. What our relationship with money will reveal what we believe about God. The Bible, overwhelming message, God is good. He's a good giver, giving good gifts to his children. The commands are for your joy. Now, the culture, the world, influenced by evil, has a different message. We live in a culture that says, no, generosity is not good. As a matter of fact, you don't need to give. What you need is more. I mean, that is the, the mark of our culture. That is the message of our culture. You need more. You, that you are one purchase away from happiness and contentment. Right? Anyone watch Final Four basketball? Look at the commercials. I mean, you are one Lexus away from finding true contentment. Right? You, here, here's the message, right? You need more than you have now, and you won't be happy until you have more. That's the message of the culture. Bigger is better. Get what you deserve. Here, here's the message of the culture. Spend before you have it. And every credit card commercial will want you to buy into that. You know why? Because they make a lot of money when you believe that. We live in a culture that says you need more. Well, here's the, here's the question. If bigger is better and that more is the good life, what about for those of us that can't afford it? Like if that is the message, you need more, what about when you can't afford more? Like, are we to believe that joy is found in striving for something that we can't ever get? Is that the good life? See, the thing I love about Jesus, the thing I love about the Bible, is it will, it will call into question our version of the good life because we all live towards our version of the good life. We do. You have a dream in your head that you're living towards the good life. The message of our culture is the good life is more, which puts me on a treadmill where I never actually live the good life. Because there's always more. The message of the Bible of Jesus is generosity is more. Less is more. What do we believe about God? Is God a giver of good things? See, the gospel is about our entire lives being transformed by Jesus. And part of that transformation is our money. What we do with our money reveals, about, reveals what we believe about God. So as we talk today on this idea of generosity, gospel-driven generosity, here's the fundamental belief that we have. Now, here's what many of us believe when it comes to money, and our money will show this. God's a taker. 
And when God tells us to give and invites us to give and challenges us to give generously and sometimes to give sacrificially, he's actually taking our joy, our freedom, our life, our good life, our happiness. See, everything we do today is it talks about money. Everything, it centers around this. What do I believe about God? Is God a giver or is God a taker? In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So this is a metaphor, right? And so we have this picture. We have this picture of, of someone casting seed. And, and this is an agriculture community. Everyone sowed seed. They, they knew it. And so you have this picture of this person throwing seed out to plant grass, to plant crops. And, and the, the, it's an obvious thing that happens, right? If you sow a little bit of seed, you have a little bit of return. However, if you sow um, a lot of seed, you have a big crop. And that's a metaphor he wants them to see when it comes to generosity. Now, here's the question. So he says, if you, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, talking about finances, you'll reap bountifully. The question is, reap what? Because here's what we will not tell you, and I want to make sure you hear this today, that the amount you give will get you favor with God. Right, if you just if you get on a TV today, click, click through the channels, you'll find the preacher, almost wore a suit today just for fun. You'll find the guy dressed in a suit that will tell you, if you sow this seed gift here, you know, God will ten times, I will not make that promise to you. And when he says reap bountifully, I don't think this idea like, oh, if I give a little bit, I'm just going to watch because a check's going to show up in my mailbox from nowhere. I don't believe that's what's saying. I think this is talking about joy. As I sow generously, I reap generously. He keeps going, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If, if, if I, and this is why I'm using this, as I look through the New Testament and try to find like one verse that just kind of sums up what does it look like to live with this idea that God is a giver? I love this verse. Here's what we say, okay? Each one must decide in his heart, that shows some intentionality, not reluctantly and under compulsion. The last thing I want you to do today is feel like you have to write a big check because I'm up here talking about money. There's a reason I did not do this sermon on the day that we are asking for commitment cards because I don't want you to just, oh, okay, fine. I want that. Not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's break this down. Decide in his heart. It's this, it's this intentional, not guilt-driven, not reluctant, but intentional. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you're, if you're married, let me just talk to married couples. Obviously, singles, this applies to you. If you're married, I'm going to challenge you to get together with your spouse every few months, once a year, and look, look at your finances, look at your budget, look at your expenditures, and say together, what do we want to give this year? How, how can we give generously and talk about that together? That's what we see. Like, decide in your heart. Sit down. Say, and maybe you do it like this. Maybe each of you have a piece of paper and you just say, okay, let's talk about our finances. Let's look. And then you're right. Both of you kind of write down. And then switch papers. <laughs> be a fun thing. Someone's like, oh, what? How much? <laughs> yeah, it'd be, a, it'd be a fun discussion. Fun, maybe not the word for it. It'd be an interesting discussion. Please do that and tell me how it goes. I want some great stories here. But th that's a cool picture of what we see. Husband and wife 
coming together, praying, looking at their finances, and saying, okay, God, what would you call us to this year? And then have a number and then, then look at that number and say, okay, God, does that sting at all? Does that teach us at all? Does that have, make us have to wrestle at all with this? And if not, pass out the papers again. Try it again. Each person should decide in their heart what they should do. Now, which brings me to the question. Here, and here's the question we get. We get this in covenant membership a lot. When we do covenant membership, we teach that we expect our covenant members to give. Here's the question we give, or we get all the time. Are we supposed to give a tithe? You guys heard this, right? Tithe, you know what tithe means? It means 10%. It's this Old Testament idea that in, in, in Leviticus, they, they said you need to bring a tithe or a tenth of your money to give to the Levites, which, which were the priests. So kind of just think the church. And so there's been this idea of tithe that's kind of been in churches for a long time. We're supposed to give a tithe. And some people look at that and be like, there's no way I'm going to give 10%. Other people look at that and say, okay, 10%, I'm good. We don't teach tithe here. There's a few reasons. One of them, number one, the, the, Bible, the New Testament talks about generosity. never talks about tithe. But even thinking about a tithe is off when it comes to Old Testament. See, Israel was commanded to give a tithe, a tithe, the tenth of their income to the priest. But that's not all they give. They, were, they had to give another 10% to what was called a festival tithe. And that is once, once a year they would have this week-long festival. Everyone would give money to that, another tenth, which would be dispersed to buy food, drink, basically to have a big party. There was a party tithe is what it was, Leviticus tithe. On top of that... There's a poor tithe, and depending on the years and how that works, one year that can be um, higher, the next year. So as I did all the research, for an average Old Testament Israelite, here's what they gave each year, kind of towards their, their relationship with God. It was 23%. Okay, so we don't teach tithe here because I don't believe tithe is just some number, 10%. Now, I think tithe is a good, like, starting point. It's a good kind of first step. Um, Emily and I, and I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, as I'm teaching on generosity, from the time Emily and I have been married, we've always given 10%, always, to church, to the church. And then as we, depending on stage of life, have given above and beyond to church initiatives, to certain people, we have a couple staff members right now that raise support. We gave towards that. Like, we've always given 10%, at least to the church, and then given above and beyond. And some of that giving is outside the church, above and beyond, to other things. Now, I'm not going to say that I'm some model of generosity. I love to spend money on myself. I love it. But I do want to try to show you, at some level, I am smoking what I'm selling a little bit, and I'm stepping into Learning how to live gener Is that a bad metaphor? <laughs> Should I not use that next hour? Okay, I'll switch that. Here's the question I want to ask, though. As we think about this call, right, to, to give generously. Let each one give as he's assigned in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this, that's kind of our framework to look at this. Here's my question I want us to wrestle with. Is one-tenth... Generous. So, 
every time Brad and I travel, we've, we've been friends for, gosh, 10 years now. We go, we've been on lots of hunting trips together. We just have a tradition that every single time we travel, one of us, or if neither one of us does, we'll stop at a gas station before we get out of Springfield. One of us always buys a huge bag of tri- Twizzlers. It's our travel food. Twizzlers is the best travel food, right? Because you can just kind of chew on it, like a little straw you're chewing on. And we will get one of those big packages, you know, the big, big ones, and finish it on one four-hour trip. Yes, we will. Don't judge us. Okay? So we take our staff to Iowa a week and a half ago. Got all of our staff go up to a church in southern Iowa just to, to learn, kind of swap ideas from them. Just spent like a professional development day, a day and a half up in Iowa. And so we were all going to ride together in a van. And so on the way to get the van, I was like, ooh, I need to get some Twizzlers. It's like, nah, Brad will get it. Sure enough, I show up, Brad's got a big pack of Twizzlers. Like, we just, we just know one another. Okay, so you have Michael and I, we're, I'm driving, Michael's sitting in the front seat, Brad's right here in the seat right behind. And so we get to about Bolivar, and I'm like, hey, Brad, about time to break those Twizzlers open. And so he, you know, un- unwraps, or remember, big old packs of Twizzlers. And he pulls out four out of the, I don't know, 50 that's in there, hands them up to Michael and I and says, share them. To which we turn around like, you jerk. Like, you've got a big old package of Twizzlers. Don't give me four and tell me to share them. I want four on my own to, as a starter until I get to Clinton, and then I want four more. <laughs> and and we, we joked, and, I, and I've been working on this sermon for that. I was like, Brad, I'm going to speak on generosity in a few weeks, and I'm using this story because that was in no way generous. But let's... <laughs> Let's think about it. Let's, let's, uh, is one-tenth generous? Now, for, for some of you, yeah, that's super generous. We have some single moms here um, that are working hard trying to raise. One-tenth may be way more than generous for you. As a matter of fact, you may not be able to do one-tenth right now. That may be something you would even want to, like, work towards. See, we... I would challenge the tithe model because for many of us, it's, it's not generous. Like at the end of the day, it really doesn't steam. It doesn't make me wrestle with this at all. Now, just looking at some church statistics, which I don't really like statistics, 40% of statistics I make up on the spot. Um, so some of you get, we'll get that later. Uh, just looking at like church giving, 10 to 25% of Christians tithe, like give at least 10%, which means the majority of Christians don't. Um, on average, Christians, like if you just look at you know, giving across the board in the United States, Christians on average give about 2.5%. 2.5%. Which... I think tells us maybe the state of the church, and maybe that is because Christians never been taught the why. They've just been told do something, and there's no heart behind it. We want to always come back to the why. God's a giver. How do I lean into giving? This was an interesting statistic. Eight out of ten people that give to churches have no credit card debt. As we talk about generosity, many of you can't, and that's because of credit card, and we're going to speak against credit card debt here. Or speak against it. Now, I don't, it's not going to speak against student loans, some of the, like house loans, some of that. I'm going to speak against credit card debt. If, if you're there, now we don't say that to shame you, like we'll work with you. We have people in our church that will work with you. 
We're going to challenge you to get out of credit card debt. We'll talk about this in a little bit. We're going to do a, a financial series in the fall to help you with that. We're going to do it in our city groups. Okay, but church statistics, here's what I would say. Most of us as Christians, like, if you look at our money, we believe God's a taker. So we hold, we hold, we, we keep it back. It's interesting, if you look at giving by gener- generation, uh, kind of work down, millennials, um, which if you look at different, I, I had this like identity crisis a couple weeks ago because I looked at one report and, ident- and my birth year was the beginning of a millennial for one. I always thought I'm a Gen Xer. And now they're telling me I might be a millennial, so I'm going to wrestle with that. Millennials, not very generous. Gen Xers to baby boomers, it, it kind of depends. We're conditionally generous. You know the most, most generous generation? It's what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, people that lived through the World War and the Great Depression. It's so interesting. Like, we would think as I get more money, and as our average population gets more money, we'll get more generous, but it actually works opposite. So interesting. See, the New Testament model is not 10%. I would argue the Old Testament model is not 10%. The New Testament model is generosity, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but generosity. We talk about generosity, obviously that's money, that's time, that's resources, that's my talent, like everything. It's just this life of generosity. And here's the reality, guys, and as we talk about money, generosity means there's some things I forego. Like... I, I could afford a really nice truck, and I'm not saying if you have a really nice truck, you're a sinner or anything like that. I would love to have a really nice truck. I could afford it. I could for sure go take a loan and make payments right now. I probably couldn't buy my own cash. But as Emily and I wrestle through our finances and, and say, how do we live generous? Like, that's just something for me that's off the table. Maybe one day, but it's off. And you know what? There, there's a, every once in a while, I'm like, man, I wish I had a truck. But most of the time, like, it really doesn't matter. See, generosity means there's things that I forego. Okay, so Paul says, like, give generous, not reluctantly, you're under compulsion. So the, the Bible calls us to be faithful, joyful givers, not to, like, because I have to, because God's going to get me if I don't, because Daniel, I, by the way, I have no idea what you give. I have no idea how much money any of you give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but to give freely out of joy. Here's my challenge, Hill City, if you're a covenant member or if you're a regular attender. I'm going to challenge, because some of you are nowhere close to the 10% thing, not even close. I'm going to challenge you to start taking steps that way. Maybe as we launch this initiative, and we're going to take commitment cards in a few weeks, maybe for some of you, this initiative is the first opportunity if you just say, all right, we're going we're to try to jump to 10%. Now, what I would challenge you to do is we do this initiative, you give towards that. As that initiative ends, keep the 10% there and then start giving more generously other places. I'm not going to guilt you. I don't want to guilt you. That's not the goal today. He goes on. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. The goal of God is that we would, out of this heart that loves him and loves the ministry that he calls us to, that we would give out of joy towards him. That's what he's called us to. Now, how do we get there? 
Because some of, some of us give and we hate it. Some of us give a little bit, but the thought of, of kind of moving up and giving more and more like that just scares us. And we're like, man, if I did it right now, it would be complete duty. I'm just being honest. If I gave 10%, it would be because the pastor told me I was supposed to. How do we move towards that and move towards joy? A few thoughts. Number one, theological, right? First thing is understanding through the theological lens that God is a giver, that God gave himself. Think about that. God has given himself. That's the message of the Bible. God is a giver. He's given all of himself to you. And now he invites us, because I gave, now you give. Same thing. We love because he first loved us. We give because he gave to us. That's a theological understanding that we have to start with. God is a giver. Me, made in the image of Christ, called to live according to him. How can I be one that is a giver of all areas in my life? Here's another theological thing the Bible talks about is all money, all resources are God's. They're not even yours. Like your money was here before you got here and it'll be here after you leave. You'll give it to your kids and they'll blow it on really stupid things. It's not even yours. That God owns everything. That's the message of the Bible. And so that, that we are stewards of what God owns. And all the parable, all these parables is Jesus saying, hey, be a good steward. Like, steward well. By the way, when we talk about money, um, do you know, this is one theologian said this, I haven't fact-checked it, but he said that money was the number one single issue that Jesus talked about the most. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. But if you look at just single issues that Jesus talked about, money is the number one thing. Probably because Jesus knows how we believe what we believe about money, how we operate with money, believes, shows our belief in God. So there's this theological understanding of how we can give generously, that God's a giver, all things are his, therefore I can give out of that understanding. Here's some practical, I'm a practical person, here's a few practical ideas of why generosity can come, can, why joy can come with generosity. Number one, teaches us self-denial. If you look at people that have really bad money habits. It's people that just like, ooh, I want that, and they just grab it. Just like, just quick decisions. When we give generously, you know what it causes us to do with money and, and what we buy? Think. Think about it. Wrestle through it. One, one person, he's not even in the church, um, he's a it's a podcast I listen to was saying like with with purchases that are you know more than 20 30 40 bucks and this guy has a lot of money he's like purchases beyond just like a glass of a glass of tea or something he said when you say hey I want this I want a new bike I want um, I, I don't know whatever you're into a new fishing pole whatever it is wait three or four weeks wait a month and then ask yourself after a month okay after a month do I still want that like, will this really add value to my life? There's a practical point to self-denial. Teaches me thoughtfulness with finances. Like many of your trouble with finances comes from impulse. Generosity makes me think, makes me evaluate, makes me step back. Here's another practical reason. That, and I love it when, one of the things I love is when we research backs up the Bible. Um, 
there's many reports on this. You can Google it about money and happiness because there's that whole phrase that money doesn't buy happiness, right? You guys have heard this? Yep, we here? Okay, sorry. Money doesn't buy happiness. Um, well, here's what research will say. Actually, it does up to a certain point. Here's the number for, in America for kind of our um, so socioeconomic and what it looks like to live in America that money buys happiness up to about $75,000 a year household income. Now, some of you are like, ooh, that would be nice. But many of you, if you have, you know, two teachers working, I mean, you're getting close, maybe a teacher and a principal or something, right? Like two, two, two couples working, you're probably households pretty much there. Here's what all the research says. Money will buy happiness up to about that point, but beyond that, it doesn't change a thing. And sometimes even happiness goes down with more money. Fascinating. Um, another, that, that study was Princeton University um, that came up with that. Another study um, showed this, that the most happy people are people, they had two things, that give generously and serve wholeheartedly. The Bible could have told them that. They could have saved a lot of money on that research project. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, our research, our best psychologists, like, okay, we did years of research. Here's our truth. Okay, if you give generously and serve wholeheartedly, you're happy. God's like, great. I'm glad you finally realized that. It's so cool. It's so cool just when, when practical psychology research backs up what the Bible says. We're going to take it from a theological understanding that we believe God is a giver. That him calling us to live generously is for our joy. Now, here is what I have learned in my life, and here's what I'm learning. That joyful giving, because that's the goal, give, give joyfully. Not under compulsion, give joyfully. Joyful giving is learned. And this is where I'm going to hopefully give you an action, some action steps today. That you can't just hear a sermon on joyful giving like, okay, good, I'm just so joyful, I can't wait to give away my money. That probably won't happen. I don't have the pressure on me for that to happen. Go joyful giving is learned. Here's what Jesus said, famous passage. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys heard this? Famous quote of Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, there's two ways to take this. There's one way that's kind of the negative spin, which is how I heard preachers preach this all the time. You want to see how greedy you are, just look at where you spend your money. You guys heard that sermon before? Right? Just evaluate. Look at, look at your expenditures. That'll tell you what you love, and you guys don't love God enough. Okay, we could do that. Here's a confession. I love myself. I love to spend money on myself. Anyone else? We all do. I don't think there's maybe one of us in this room that would say, okay, let's look at my finances. Oh, gee, praise God. I love God so much. That's how this passage is taught so often. Now, there, could there be an element of truth to that? Yeah, look at your finances. It's like, yeah, 1.5% goes to anything that has to do with God. Okay, maybe. Let me say it like this. Where your treasure is, there you will, will be your heart also. I'm going to take this in a positive spin, in learning generosity. Here's how I'm going to take that. When I spend my money towards the kingdom, even when I don't want to, what I begin to learn is treasure follows my money. 
my heart, treasure of what I value begins to follow money. Here's what I mean. Again, none of you are going to leave the sermon, man, I just want to, oh, I just can't wait to give. I'm so excited to give. But if you will start to take steps towards, okay, God, I don't want to do this right now. But I believe that you're a giver. Well, at least I believe it in my head. Maybe not in my heart yet. But I want to trust you. I'm going to, so I'm going to take a step here. And then when you do that, this is what's happened to me. When you do that, you start to see joy that comes there. And then you start to value different things. Where your treasure is, where you give, there comes your heart. So see, generosity becomes a way that we can curate our heart, that we can tend to our heart. So, I love drawings. Um, let's just say the goal is joyful giving. Joyful, just, I love to give. brings me joy. Many of us struggle with that. I struggle with that at times. Times I, I give because I know I'm supposed to. Now, we can look at that, oh, I'm a bad Christian, whatever. or we can say, okay, God, where my money is, there my heart is. Okay? And so the idea, and here's a heart, you guys have seen this before, that what we love and what we believe is at the, it's the center of us. We live towards what we love, every single one of you. But your version of the good life, you live towards it. Right? So joyful giving, where's it going to come from? A love, a belief, a belief that God is good, he's a giver, a love for God, a love for other people. That is where joyful generosity comes from. Not guilt. You can get generosity. You can get giving out of guilt, but not joyful giving. Joyful giving comes out of love. How do we shape our loves? We've talked about this before. Our practices. That's how we shape our loves. Here we go. Giving generously is a practice that shapes me with the result being joyful generosity. It's fascinating, and, I, and I've seen that. So here's what happens as you give towards Hill City. Because again, some of you have been coming, you've been a fly on the wall, you're never giving, you just kind of sit here. As you begin to give towards the local church, you know what starts to happen? Because that's a practice. You start to love the local church. And the language begins to shift from, hey, you guys, to us. I love that. One of the things I listen for when I talk to people, when they say, hey, what are you guys doing? What's, what, what are they doing? No, what are we doing? When I give, I begin to love. And as I begin to love the church and see the impact it makes and see baptisms and all the things that happen here, joy starts to come from that. See, generosity is a practice that's learned and joy comes. Cool story. Um, oh, gosh, I should know the age. Ten years ago, nine, ten years ago, uh, Brad and Jenny are going through adoption to get their first son, Brody. And he was a domestic adoption. I think he's in Kentucky. And they were going along the process, and all of a sudden some things happened where the cost went from here to here. 
and by this time they knew who he was, and, and I just, you know, Brad and I and, and Jenny, we were friends by then, and so just seeing the, like, the pain on their faces and seeing this anxiety, like, how are we going to get this, this boy? And they fought to get this boy. And at that time, I'm doing college ministry, and we were doing a, a college service at Missouri State University. And we had, I don't know, two, three, four hundred students. I don't know how many we had at that point. They would come every Wednesday night. And they knew Brad and Jenny because they were, had been serving our college ministry for a while. And we kind of, we, we sent out a Facebook message the day before and said, hey, here's the reality. Brad and Jenny need to go get their son. But there's a cost this much. We're going to, as college students, college students, we're going to challenge you to give generously towards this. So we had our, our college service that Wednesday night at Missouri State, and we passed a bucket. First time we'd ever done that in a college service. And a, and a group of college students gave over $2,000. It's beautiful. Sorry. I remember taking that envelope. And Brad was a, a, was a coach at Rogersville. It was after a baseball game. I'll never forget this in the parking lot at Rogersville High School. Took this envelope. I said, hey, these are from our students. And he's thinking, oh, 100 bucks, great, you know. Um, and he opens that. I wish I had a picture of his face. I learned joyful generosity there. And all of a sudden, Brody coming home was not a Brad and Jenny thing. It was an us thing. You should have seen the students when they finally got Brody and brought him home, a little baby. A joy that was unmatched. Why? Because they participated. Where your treasure goes, there your heart goes. If you want to learn joyful generosity, step into it. And it may be one of those things like, God, I am struggling right now to believe that you're a giver when it comes to money. Let's be honest with that. I love Thomas. Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that passage. Here's what many of you have to do. God, I believe here, my head. I don't believe here. But I'm going to step into my unbelief, trusting that you're good and that you're a giver, and this is for my joy. And here's what I, I can't promise, I, I think will happen to you. As you begin to do that, you will find joy. And joyful generosity will begin to happen in your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart goes also. So let's curate our hearts. Let's mold our hearts. Our practices shape that. We talk to high-income believers, which I, you can decide what that is. I don't know what level that is, high-income. Bible talks to us about that. Okay, by, by the way, if you can afford lunch today, you're, you're more wealthy than half the world population. We can talk about what high-income means. Here's what 1 Timothy 6 says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, a heart thing, right? Look how much money I have. Nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides, notice the theology, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Here we go, rich. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves for a good foundation for the future, so that they take hold of that which is truly life. God never condemns wealth, never does. 
And if you're someone here with a lot of money, we don't condemn you. As a matter of fact, we're really glad you're here. The invitation of God to those with much, be rich in good works. Now, does that mean you can't go on vacation with your family to an island? No. Go. Enjoy it. But a model of your life is, I am rich in good works. Now, let's talk to our lower earning believers, and you can decide what that number is. Here's what happens a lot of time with, with people that don't have as much. We say, ah, oh, rich people, they're just, they're just greedy. Well, not necessarily. Maybe the fact that you only have $10 in your bank accounts because you love money way too much. Anyone say an amen on that one? Come on. Come on. And I'm going to challenge those that don't think they have much. Be cautious about judging those that did drive up in a nice truck today. Because generosity may look way different for them than it does for you. Many of you are saying this. Like, here's the deal. I would love to give. I would love to be able to give generously. I'd love to even start giving more than, uh, you know, 20 bucks every once in a while. But here's the reality. I can't. Now, again, some of you, you can't. And generously, generous for you is just a little bit of money because you are barely making, like, you're working hard. You have good finance. You're, like, you're just barely making ends meet. I understand that. There's seasons of that. Many of you can't give generously. Because of the decisions you're making financially. It's just reality. And, I, and again, I don't say that to shame you. If, if the gospel is true, we have nothing to hide. Right? That includes our finances, credit card debt, all the things. Like some of us made bad decisions. Some of you didn't grow up in a household where you saw money managed well. So you got to college, you're like, ooh, credit card, that's sweet. Start swiping. I remember when I had financial aid, uh, I got my, my freshman year, I got you know, a check of what was left over. It's like, Bass Pro, here we go, baby. I had to learn. I had to learn finances. Okay? Um, many of you love to give, but you can't. Here's one of the things that we're going to do as elders as we set out this initiative for our church. One of our convictions is, is we can't ask people to give generously and joyful generosity if we don't equip them to do so. Here's what we're doing in the fall. If you're in a city group in the fall, every single one of our city groups in the fall are going to go through a, a financial literacy um, thing through, through our city groups. Michael's going to lead that. He's looking at resources now. Together, we're going to go through a study in the fall to help us make decisions with our finances where we are able to give. It's so cool. One of our members came to me actually today, right before this, and big smile on her face said, hey, guess what? My husband and I just paid off all of our credit cards. And there was just like this beam from her. Here's, here's what I will never do. Well, about time. No, it's like, heck Yeah. All right, God's good. Guys, we will meet you where you are, including finances. You can come down front to our elders this morning and say, guys, I am way over my head. And we will not shame you. We will walk with you. Lord, bless us with many financial advisors in this church. We'll get some of them to walk with you. Here's what 2 Corinthians says to those that don't think they have much money to give. It's an awesome, awesome story. Paul writing, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. It's this cool story that's, that's been told for 2,000 years. This church in Macedonia, right? Here we go. This is in northern Greece. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, hear this, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Okay, let's look at that sentence again. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of 
generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at this. So there's poor believers begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That means giving towards this mission. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's this really cool story that Paul's telling. Because here's, Paul could have said this, I am Paul, give. He could have. He doesn't do that. Instead, as, he, as he's casting this vision around giving money, he's like, I'm going to tell a story. And here's a story, and it's been told for 2,000 years, these little group of believers in northern Greece. And they are under severe persecution. They're being killed. They are poor they have nothing. And Paul's going around and he's trying to plant more churches and he's sending money, to, sending message to the churches, hey, we need some funds in order to go do our journeys. And this little group of churches in Macedonia who have no money, no wealth, being persecuted said, okay, we don't want to miss out on this. We don't want to miss out. And it, like begging God, God, help us because we want to give towards this. And they gave and it so much just impacted Paul's heart that he wrote it. And now what's our Bible? And said, like, out of their extreme poverty, they gave generously. Hear me, guys. Generosity has nothing to do with, the, with how many zeros are on a check. Nothing. It is a heart thing. College students will have a bunch of them next hour. Young singles, like, generosity for you may be $20 a month. So I'm not just talking here to people that can write $10,000 check. Generosity is for all of us. It's a heart thing. And Paul says, their circumstances, you, affliction, persecution, poverty, their reality, joyful giving. So cool. See, poverty is not a barrier to generosity. It's, it's interesting. Brad and I were talking this morning. Brad's reading a book right now called A, a Framework for Understanding Poverty. I don't know if you guys read it. He said it's a great book. A Framework for Understanding Poverty. He said it's very interesting. We've seen this too. He said in, the, in people that are in poverty, the most challenging thing to do in helping them is help them keep their money. Because they just give it away. And we've seen this. Working with people, and it's like we're helping them get to here, and they finally got a little money. And it's like, okay, where's your money? Well, my friend needed a bus ticket. It's like, ah. And the mindset of those in poverty is like, I survive because other people give, so I'm going to give. Here's what he said, though. Middle class, which is probably most of us, here's, the, here's the, the mindset of middle class. I have mine, you have yours, let's keep it there. Just this very individualistic, no, it's, it's mine. And again, we look at just American, I told you that greatest generation that was the most giving. Why? Because through the Depression, like, they leaned on one another. They had to learn that it's not about how much I have. As a matter of fact, that I may need it sometimes. Let me give because people do. Like, that's the mindset. Gospel-centered generosity. Giving because God gave to us. Let's talk Hill City and then I'll be done this, this morning. Here's where we are right now at Hill City. Find space here. 95% of our covenant members give. You got, come on now. Yeah, that's good. And Michael said it's interesting. The ones that, that the 5%, most of them are people that have transitioned out over the past few months. Okay, so 
of our covenant members give. Cool thing, cool thing to celebrate. If you're going through covenant membership class, we tell you if you want to be a covenant member, there is an expectation to give. Now, we don't look at your WTs or anything. Now, that's the good news. Here's not so good news. Our average household giving per year is $3,000. Household. Now, in saying that, let, let us acknowledge we have a young church. We have a handful of college students. Many of our college students give, which is really cool. So that does skew that number a little bit. But household giving is $3,000, which if you just assume, which I know I shouldn't, um, that that's 10%, that means most of our church is living at below poverty level, which I know is not true. I don't say, do I say that to guilt you? No, I say that to say we have some work to do, right? We have some work to do. Now, saying that, the Lord has been so good to us, and you guys have been good. Like for a two-and-a-half-year-old church, we're self-sustaining. Most churches, it takes four years to do that. And we, we are frugal with money. We do, do this whole thing with our staff called Great Game of Business where we have an open book. Like everything, we work really hard as staff to spend your money well. But that's kind of where we are per household average. So I'm gonna, I would love over the next year, 2019, to see that go up. We'll try to track that and, and let you guys know. Hey, where we are as a church, we've talked about this. Our goal between now and December is to raise $300,000 to clear the land on that property. And we're going to call you to give. Next week, when you come, we're going to ask you to bring those commitment cards that we gave you or we'll have them available next week. Before next week, I'm going to ask you and your spouse, or if you're single, you and your accountant or you and your money, look at your life, evaluate and say, God, what's it look like for us to give towards this number? Remember, this 300000 is part of a bigger goal that is four to five million. Is that a big goal for our church? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And if we're going to get it, it's going to take a lot of the Lord moving, and it's going to take a lot of us stepping into joyful generosity. Let me tell you a few stories, and we'll be done. Um, I heard this story, and so I called the guy this week. Covenant member at our church, him and his wife. He said, we, and he, they're kind of new to career. I think he started his career seven, eight, nine years ago. And he kind of went from down here to up here really quick. Really good career path, and he's, he's killing it. Um, here's what he said. I called him this week. He said, yeah, we were giving. And actually, a little bit after we got to Hill City, we started giving 10%. But then we said, you know what? This doesn't even hurt. Like, it doesn't even make a dent. That's what he said. It doesn't even make a dent. And so they bumped it up. I, I want to say, don't quote me, I want to say he doubled it. And he said, yeah, that hurt, <laughs> but we doubled it. Here's what he said. He said, and then 2018 was our best year financially we've ever had in our lives after we doubled it. Now, am I guaranteeing if you double your money, you'll get, no. Don't quote me on that. I don't want to email in, in nine months. <laughs> but that's what they said. He's like, man, we gave, it didn't hurt. We gave more, it hurt. Best year we've ever had. And now they're wrestling with, again, how do we give more? One of our, one of our students graduated college two years ago, and uh, Emily and I were having lunch with her, and, and right as she graduated, and she got a, a job nursing. And she said this, she said, before I ever get my first paycheck, as soon as I start, I'm going to set up online giving, because she said, here's the deal, I know if I don't do it first, I never will. It's beautiful. 
just curating her heart, saying, I know me. I know I like to spend money on me. So before I ever get the money, let me set up this online giving. So as soon as that money comes in, there's part of it that goes out because I want to learn this. It's a really cool picture. Another young couple at our church heard this story. They, were, they heard us talking about this 300000 the 4 to $5 million. And they had some questions like, help us understand the why. And then Brad went and talked to him and helped him understand the why. And here's what they said. Okay, because we've been praying at that, about this because here's the reality. We've been saving money for a down payment on a house. Now, and we haven't, they have a nice house now, but, you know, they can afford one nicer. We've been wanting to upgrade and get a bigger house. As we wrestle with this and we love Hill City and where we are as a church, we're going to take that down payment. We're going to give it towards this. And we're going to wait a few years for a new house. It's cool. Now, am I saying every single one of you need to do that? No. If you buy a new house next week, I'm not going to, mm-hmm, well, I don't want yeah. No. It's about the heart. It's intentional. God, what would you ask of us? What does generosity look like? What does sacrificial giving look like for us? Here's a cool story. I actually tried to get him here this weekend, but he couldn't make the trip. Um, man I met in Italy, because I have been to Italy a few times. If you uh, saw those videos, they made fun of me about it. Um, Man I met in Italy who's a supporter of Giacomo. So you guys know Giacomo, our church planner, we give to him. There's a guy in Kentucky, him and his wife, that give through us and goes to Giacomo. It's kind of a random connection. Well, I met him in Italy, and I met him because they were there build, they're kind of remodeling a house in Tuscany that they're going to buy. They're going to build a nice house, beautiful. I was there, I mean, just looks over the Tuscan mountains, there's vineyards, everywhere. it's just absolutely gorgeous. Okay? house in Italy, they live in Kentucky. Now it would be easy to look at that and be like, God, that's a waste of money. Until you hear their story. Because he's in banking and owns a few banks. So here's what's cool. They give away 10 to 12 times what they spend. Think about that. They give away each year 10 to 12 times what they spend, including their house in Italy. Here's what he said, quote, the antidote to greed is recklessly giving money away. Here's what he'll tell you. I'm the most greedy person there is. So that's why I make myself give. And here's what he said. Joy comes. And now he partners with us supporting Giacomo and Miriam in Italy. Some of, our, some of our believers in our church that are wealthy did this. And I would challenge some of you that have a lot of money to do this, to say, hey, what's a line that we want to live up, live at. We feel, yeah, it's good for us. It's comfortable. We can still go on vacation, do some nice things. And then what if we give everything else away above that? Some of our couples are doing that. Maybe that's something you think about. Let's wrap up. Your relationship with money will reveal what you live, believe about God. Just will. One author I read said this, he said, God's grace, if God's grace is lightning, right, God's grace is totally transforming your life, it's that, if that's lightning, then giving is thunder. It's the result of God's grace totally transforming you. So I'm going to challenge us all, myself included. Let's step towards curating our heart, curating our loves, and maybe find joyful generosity. Let's close with this for communion. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, 
might become rich. Why do we give? Because Jesus gave for us. That's why we give. Believing he is good. So as we center ourselves around the table today, I mean, this table is an expression of God giving generously. If you look at Revelation, the banquet that's going to happen at the end of time, like it is a generous banquet. Food, wine, ever I mean, it's abundance. God is a giver. He's good. And so we do this practice today. And as you do this practice today, may you say, maybe for some of you, I dip the bread in the cup. God, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. But may I step into this. I'm going to challenge you with that. Let's pray.